right, thank you for letting me come and speak. Like he said, I'm interning this year, and I was under Pastor Mike until he left for sabbatical, and now they're just letting me run wild and figure out what I want to do. No, I'm with Pastor Steve right now, and he's kind of showing me the ropes now. But um, thank you for this chance to get to speak. I'll be speaking on Psalm 139, so if you have your Bible, you can turn there. And the first thing I think of uh, with Psalm 139 is Psalm 139.14, which is, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And um, with that, I've seen people a lot put this like in their Instagram or Twitter bio, or I saw one person, um, they had this on their mirror next to them in their bedroom. They had this verse, Psalm 139.14. And they... Um, you know, we commit this verse to memory a lot, and we think about this verse, and when we put it in context, um, it is a wonderful and powerful message to us as believers and to the church. And um, when, we, when we read it with the context that David intended it to, the psalmist, um, it can be really powerful. And it's a beautiful illustration of how God um, has a relationship with his creation. It paints a picture of the observer, who is God, and us, who we are observed. Um, and the message is kind of what I want you to get from this. And if you're, you know, you've been in Christ a long time, it's not necessarily going to teach you anything new. But what it will, what I hope it does, is I hope it encourages you um, to find your rest in God, and to um, be able to think on this throughout your week. And in days to come of, of where am I finding my rest? And I think that is the theme of Psalm 139. Um, David expresses his attitude toward God in this and toward man and toward himself. And when you see this, it, it helps us as believers to understand how we can express our own attitude. Um, and, and knowing this can give us a godly rest. So Psalm 139 can be broken up into kind of four categories, I would like to think of it. The first, uh, verses 1 through 6, and you can write this as um, uh, the first part of, of notes, if you're taking those, and you can just put down, God knows you, or if you want to put down, God knows me. That's verses 1 through 6. And then verses 7 through 12 is, God is with me. Uh, verses 13 through 16 is, God created me. And then these are all leading to the conclusion of kind of the whole psalm, which is verses 17 through 24, that God will maintain me. Um, so verses 1 through 16 talk about who God is. And then it concludes uh, with the psalm that, that God and his omniscience and omnipresence and omnipotence can provide a godly rest to us if we meditate on that um, truth and reality of who he is. Uh, so this whole psalm put together is a beautiful picture. And it starts off with God's omniscience, and also my first point, which is that knowing that God knows everything about you provides a consistent comfort. So if you look at Psalm 139, and we read, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know me when I sit, when I sit down and when I rise up. So God knows our movements, verses uh, 2a. And then as we keep going... You understand my thought from afar. Uh, you scrutinize my path and my laying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. 
So God knows our thoughts. So as um, I hope to kind of break this apart, I want everything that I say to point back to finding that rest we can find in God uh, through this knowledge of him. Now, there are times when we go throughout our week and day and month and year where we're not thinking on God. We're not thinking about God. You know, if I'm playing a sport or if I'm doing an errand or if I'm, you know, even teaching at school or, or doing something throughout my day or you're doing something throughout your day, your thought is not necessarily on God in that moment. But the reality is that God despite all the thoughts that he has, always has us in his thoughts at every moment in time. And he never forgets us. He never, um, he never lets us fall into oblivion of his thought or drift away from, from his thought. He is always able to think on us, and he is always aware of us. Um, and he knows us so well that as you keep reading down in verses 5 and 6, or verse 5, it says, You have enclosed me behind and before, and you laid your hand upon me. This knowledge encloses us. So this knowledge that he knows us so well encloses us in, in the reality that it's like a fortress, and walls of a fortress, that, that nothing can get in and, and harm us, and nothing can get in to um, put us in a position where we're not secure in him. I think of this in the reality of, of being a teacher. My mind goes to education with this. And knowledge that encloses. In the public schools, they have IEPs, which are individualized education plans. I know a lot of you are teachers, and some of you have maybe sat in on meetings and written these. But what this is, is this is a, this is a meeting between the teacher and the school psychologist or school intervention specialist and the principal. And what they do is they sit down and they talk about the child and they decide on if they need more accommodations than what they're getting in the classroom. So do they, know, do they need extra help? But in order for this meeting to take place and in order for a plan to be put in place, the teacher has to get into the classroom and the teacher has to get to know the student. And so the, student has, the teacher has to know the student's personality, has to know how they learn. Are they audio or visual? Do they gotta move around to learn? You know, what are their strengths, weaknesses in the subjects? What's their, um, who do they gravitate toward with students? How do they respond to behavior management? You know, how, what's their relationship like? They gotta learn everything about this student in order to present this information to implement this plan. So, when we think about this, the reality is that God knows us like this teacher would. And at the end of the day, the kid goes on and, and completes the rest of the year, and he or she might go into the summer, and they might, you know, forget things over the summer. They grow, they learn new things, they forget some things, they come back the next year, and they know less than they knew about something before, and know more about something they didn't before. And they have to learn this student all over again. And the, it's a new teacher the next year, they have to do more meetings. But the fact is that God knows us all at once. He doesn't need a other people to help him, and he already knows us fully. He knows us completely. And this is such a knowledge that it encloses us to where when we think on that, it can provide our rest, right? God knows our thoughts. He knows that, you know, we might need money for our house. He knows that we're thinking about how we need money for a car, or that our job stinks. Whatever we're thinking, you know, you, you want to get married. You want to be healthy. God knows 
what we desire. He knows our thoughts. He knows us. So we can rest in that knowledge. God will never not have us on his mind at a single point in time. Okay? And David in verse 5 so that David's talking about that in verse 5. In verse 3, that goes along with how he says he's intimately acquainted with all of our ways. So I could, I could think on that for today and just kind of, I thought like that could be a whole sermon right there by itself, just that knowledge right there. Um, but David keeps going, and he keeps saying, and this, this is the next point, is that knowing God is there will provide you with a consistent comfort. So verses 7 um, and on are going to talk about God being there in his omnipresence, okay? Verses, uh, verse 7 says, Where can I go from your spirit, or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascended to heaven, you are there, and if I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, and if I dwell in the most parts of the sea, even your hand will lead me, and your right hand will lay hold of me. God is always a spectator of us. And I think of this in context of how we live our life, that God is always a spectator. So on the side, you know, you think men are more likely to do something wrong if they're around, for instance, the wrong crowd. So if they're, you know, away at school or they're at work or they go out after or wherever they are, but they're around people that are unsaved or the world, there is a tendency to want to gravitate toward those people and do what they do and do something wrong. But then if you're around good people, people at church, you're around people that you know, your family, you're less likely to do something that's wrong. And hopefully, you know, you and your best friend in Christ aren't off doing something you know you shouldn't be doing. But when you think about the fact that if we can not do something when we're around good people, then that should be our want every moment of our life because we're always around God, because God is everywhere. And if you look at this in a positive way, you can think that even when I'm by myself, I have the opportunity to worship God by what I do, because if I'm by myself, God is there, and so God sees what I'm doing, and that can be an opportunity to worship God in what I do. Um, the other thing that God is in, in the aspect that he is everywhere is that darkness does not overwhelm him. In verses 10 to 11, um, in verses 12, it says, Even the darkness is not dark to you. Um, as the, and the night is as bright as day, darkness and light are alike to you. I love reading about World War II, and I know I have a friend who often kind of makes fun of me because I love World War II, but I don't know like specifics about it. So he'll like try and jab me with this information, like, oh, you don't know this about it. Well, okay, but I just like it in general. Um, but I think the most intriguing part of World War II to me is, like, I think of how li what life was like during the war. Like, in Nazi Germany, they were being brainwashed in their community and all these things going on. And I think that's so intriguing. And then back home, we have people sitting around their, you know, sitting around their fireplace, drinking a cup of coffee, while there are other people, like, in 20-degree weather in the Battle of Bulge, fighting. And when we think of God in this reality, that God can be in a position where he's in the presence of a war, but in the presence of someone peacefully sitting at their home, and he's in both realities at the same time. That God is everywhere, and darkness and light are alike to him, as this verse says. 
God is not phased by darkness, and God is not phased by light. He, he is not affected by anything that we do. He's not surprised or taken off guard by, by things that we do. And that can provide a comfort to us knowing that God is always the same and God is always there. Um, you know, people want protection. People desire to, be, feel, to have a feeling of being secure. You know, I just purchased Wi-Fi for my home. It's a lot of money, but it's okay. It's, it's a good thing. But after I got off the phone with AT&T, they, they sent me over to ADT. And the first thing the guy in ADT says, he says, Hello, sir, please uh, let me tell you how you can have peace at home in your mind every night from fires, break-ins, and emergencies. Like, that's what people want. That, like, that's a great sales pitch to start off with. You want to feel secure? Listen to me. Um, people want to feel secure. We, we lock our doors at night. We don't run at midnight. We don't, you know, let our kids go off alone. We want to feel secure. There are a lot of debates in our country right now about what's the best way to handle, like, for instance, firearms. Should we have more? Should we take them away? What's the best way that we can secure ourselves? People want comfort, but God, by his attributes, provides us a comfort both physically and spiritually by his omnipresence, by always being there. He always is there for us. Now, that's a great sales pitch to me, right, that, that God can provide this for us. And as Christians, we know that uh, the reality of spiritual protection is also physical protection in 1 Corinthians 15, 55, and 57, uh, that no matter what happens to us physically, uh, death has no sting. We are in heaven, and we have a home. Um, and that uh, is a reality that provides us comfort, that God is there, and that God can provide us a way to um, spiritually be comforted. And then this brings us to the last um, attribute of God mentioned in the psalm. And as I think about God, it's hard to separate the attributes of him um, without thinking of other attributes. So they're interwoven. Like, you can't think of God being everywhere without thinking of God knowing everything, because if he's everywhere, he would see everything and know everything. It's just, you can't, they're hard to separate. You can't really think of it in terms of separate attributes. But you will see the overlying attributes uh, throughout the next part of the psalm, which is uh, point number three, is that knowing that God is all-powerful will provide you with a consistent comfort. So we're getting into Psalm uh, 139.14, and it says, or verse 13 says, You formed me in my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written, were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was none of them. How, um, right there, we'll stop in verse 16. So when we think about God and how he, how he has made us. He's made us in an image um, of his character. And what does it really mean to be uh, made in the character of God or in the image of God? And you can't really put um, one aspect to it. Like the fact that we can read is not necessarily the only aspect of being made in God's image. 
Um, man in general reveals God's character. There's a man named Benjamin Bloom, and he came up with a hierarchy of intelligence. At the bottom of the pyramid, um, he had two things. He had the ability to remember and understand. And I think that goes well with most animals and creatures and us including, included in that, that, that people and things and animals can understand and, and remember. Right? You know, they can remember, a dog can remember its owner. You know, birds remember and they understand that when it's cold out, they need to fly south. But as you think of more of God's character and how it's, how it's greater than that, we have mankind and man's ability to, and the rest of those um, kind of hierarchy pyramids that Bloom describes is the ability to apply and analyze and evaluate and create. Right? Man has the ability to think on things and, and end up building a skyscraper. That's always blown my mind. How do, we, how do we build a skyscraper? That doesn't make any sense to me. I don't understand that. But man has that ability, right? And God given in his, through his character that we can demonstrate. I think of people that have studied languages and studied and built off one another. We have men of faith who, you know, not even inspired by God, have figured out ways to make concordances for the Bible and make maps and diagrams for the Bible to where, you know, the future generation can have that as study tools. Just the reality that knowledge is built off and they can evaluate and create and, and help that and give those resources to help us understand things better. That is the, what it means to be um, made wonderfully in, God, in God's character. And we're also made fearfully the ability to fear him is, is a privilege that we get. And it, it's because he made us that way. Um, he created us in a way that we can glorify him. God, uh, when we learn more about him, is glorified through that. When we seek to understand the Bible, when we seek to understand scripture, and, you know, the book of Revelation, there, there's promises and, and blessings in understanding that and end and times. But those people, all of us, have the ability to fear God in that aspect. We have the ability to make music and to sing and to fear God by what we do. And even in toil in our work, uh, we have the opportunity to fear God and, and ultimately worship him by how we go about our work and how we interact with people. He's given us that ability um, to do so. I think of even people with disabilities, you know, God has created us individually and uniquely, and people um, have this ability to point others to Christ and even glorify God who have disabilities, right? There's, there's people all over that, you know, from one end of the spectrum to the other, and, and all these imperfections that we would consider imperfections, they are able to point people to Christ, and they are still able to bring glory to God because they are wonderfully made. Um, so that's what it means to be made fearfully. And I want to encourage you with this, that we should be taking advantage of this opportunity. So we, we have the opportunity to find our rest in God, but then we also have the opportunity to, in that rest, start worshiping God by what we do and living in that reality that God is always with me and God knows me and so I should be striving, you should be striving to glorify and honor God in all that you do. 
and to fear him in all that you do because he created you that way. So we don't want to miss out on that opportunity while we're on this earth and everything we do, do all to the glory of God. I think David is crying out in this psalm. It's a psalm of praise. It's a psalm of, of awe toward God. That's what David is describing um, toward God is that, God, you are this magnificent and you are this, these attributes. I want to worship you. I want to be in awe of you. The Lord is so worthy of our praise that, we, that you should give God that praise um, through how you go about your life and how you go about understanding who God is and, and the knowledge in him that can help you understand him to where you can worship him. Now, God, as we continue on, was present in our making and present in our death already. In verses 15 starts, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Uh, your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there, were, there was not one of them. God was present in our God was present, and he is present in every reality. He's still present in our birth. He was still present. He's still present in our future at our death. And he's still present in the past when before creation. And so the reality that God is everywhere and God is present everywhere provides us a comfort knowing that how much, how much meaning has God put into us in creation. Um, we all have someone that we value. And I think this next part, David is kind of taking a step back and reflecting on these characters of God and the attributes of God, and he's valuing God. So what, what do we value in people? Why do we value people? What, what attributes do we look for to value people? You might value someone um, who's, who's noble, someone of character, uh, someone who is successful in their career, someone who is smart and can provide a lot of wisdom to us. And we tend to cling to these people, and we have our people that we like to go to for advice. But David here is, is doing that with God, but on a, on a level where he's observing God in, a, in the aspect that he just wants to value God's thoughts. And as you read, as we read verses 17 and 18, it says, How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How vast is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. David is, is reflecting on God in his, in his character, and he is valuing God. How vast are your thoughts? How precious are they to, to David? And I want to ask you, how, how precious are God's thoughts to you? How precious is the word to you? How precious God's thoughts are written through man in his word? Are we going to the Bible each day seeking God's thoughts? Seeking to be enamored by how vast God is and how, how much knowledge he contains and how he is the objective truth in our life. The knowledge that, that he has puts us in awe to where we come to him fearfully and seek to know his thoughts. And that's what David's, he's cherishing this moment of, of just, wow, like I need to pursue this reality. You all need to pursue the thoughts of God. 
their objective truth and, and they're precious. And then David goes into this imprecatory part of the psalm. And in imprecatory psalms, it's the psalmist praying for um, the praying for the defeat of his enemies. So as we read this, it says, verse 19, Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, men of bloodshed, for they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. And do I not, lo- uh, do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with the utmost hatred. They have become my enemies. The beautiful thing about Psalms is that we can go to God with our feelings. Or it, it shows us how we can go to God with our feelings. The psalmist here is expressing feelings toward man who hates God. And I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this because the, the focus of this, this is not the focus of the psalm. But it is not uncommon to have those feelings toward man. I, I can remember I flew out... Uh, to my fiance's house, Katie, for her sister's wedding. And, and before I flew back, we walked around Salt Lake. It was right by the airport. And, and we were in a city where people were cherishing a false idea of God. They were worshiping an idol. A false idea of God, if you believe it, is, is an idol worship. And, and that's what they were doing. And then we would walk down the street and we would see people celebrating life in a way that they thought was, was right to them. But in reality, it was contrary to God's truth, contrary to what God said was right, and people were celebrating this. And I just remember this feeling coming over me like, like, wow, like this is, this is what David is feeling. And it, in that moment, you, you have to pray, and you have to think on what is right. And that's kind of, that's kind of what he goes into next, but, but the reality is that David is expressing that, and it's okay to express that. That's why Psalms is, is so beneficial to us as Christians, because it shows us, okay, is it okay to have these feelings? Is it okay to go to God this way? What do I do? And that's what David's doing. He's going to God with his feelings. Okay, and then he closes, and these closing verses, yes, they are underlining uh, the verses we just read toward unbelievers, but it's also underlining the whole psalm in general. Okay? And that is, Search me, O God, verse 23, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me and lead me in an everlasting way. Now, this psalm concludes in a way that brings us back to our original point. And that is that you should, first of all, desire pure intentions toward people that are not saved, towards people that don't believe in God or in Christ, and they're not regenerated by Jesus Christ, and they have a hatred toward him. Okay, we, we should desire pure attentions. But then this also points back to inviting God into our heart, or into our, into our mind and in our life. So verse 1 says, you have searched me and known me. And then verse 23 says, search me, O God, and know my heart. So why does... The psalmist say, search me if he's already searched us and known us. Well, God, by his nature, has known us. But what David is doing here is that he is inviting God into his life and into his thoughts and his feelings so that he can have pure intentions, that he can find a rest in God. So I want to I propose to you that, 
that we should be doing the same thing consistently, going to God with our feelings, going and praying that God search me and know me, know my anxious thoughts and see if there any, be any hurtful way in me. We should be constantly seeking to express our feelings toward God so that we can live in a reality that is pleasing to Him and we can love others, love people that don't know Him. But it also gives us a rest. You know, when you pour out your heart to someone, that gives you a comfort. It gives you a comfort in, okay, this person wants to help me. This person cares for me. God already knows us, and God is there with us always, and God has the power to do anything. But you should go to God and pour out your heart to him in, in what you desires are, what your needs are, what is irritating you, who is irritating you. Go to God with those feelings. He wants to be the one to help you. He wants you to constantly invite him to know you. He already knows you from a standpoint that he is God and he knows everything. But he wants it on a personal level that you know him and he knows you and you can be intimately acquainted, verse 3, with him. Okay? The other reality of this whole psalm is that I was once like the people in 17 through 22. I was once a sinner who hated God. Who, who desired nothing good from God. I wanted to be the one to call the shots. I wanted to be the one that, that controlled my own life. I wanted to believe what I wanted to believe. I didn't want to seek truth. But God saved me from that by Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ and faith in Him. And God has turned me to a way that now I seek God. And I seek to know His ways. I seek to know His thoughts. So it is comforting to know that God has saved us and that God is going to maintain us. And God maintains us by his very character. It's all interwoven that, that God, through his omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence, saves us and then also cares for us and maintains us. And these are all interwoven into our daily life of, of what should I be focusing on? And I've been, I've been trying to, you know, and I hope you are trying to, throughout your day to just be thinking, God is with me right now. God is all-powerful and he's with me right now. And God knows everything and he's all-powerful and he's with me right now. There could be a, you know, a lot of things that are going wrong in your life. There are a lot of things that you wish were different. But we, rest in our, we don't rest in our circumstance. Okay? We rest in the knowledge that God knows. You know, infinite, we're so finite that we can't truly understand infinite knowledge and presence and power. Right? We have such a finite power. We have such a finite knowledge and finite presence that we can't understand God. But, but a finite person can find comfort in an infinite God, in an infinite knowing and present and powerful God. So as we think of this, in conclusion, I want you to think are you finding your rest knowing that God knows you intimately? He knows you like a teacher knows a student who studied that student for nine months out of the year. He knows you better. He knew you like that. Okay, are we finding our rest in a God that is always there? Verses 7, or seven through 12. And are we finding a rest in God that 
for someone who created us fearfully and wonderfully. He created us in his character. He created us in these things. And are we finding a rest in God because we can pour out our heart to him and express our feelings to him? He wants to be the one that helps you get through things. He wants to be there for you. He wants you to find comfort in him. That is bringing glory to him. When you find comfort in God through no not through any circumstance or thing, but you find your comfort in God. He wants that to be the case in your life. So, I want to rehearse again that tonight we should be focusing in our mind that our spirit does not find rest in our circumstances. It does not find rest in things that we have, but it finds rest in the interwoven character of God. It finds rest that, that God is there and God knows us and God is all-powerful. So I pr my prayer for you all tonight and my prayer for my life is that I constantly rehearse this in my mind. I constantly am maintaining this knowledge of my Creator and I become the observer of Him. And I constantly seek to know Him better so that I can find a maintenance rest in Him. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for this night. I thank you for this opportunity to speak. Lord, I thank you for the Psalms and how you've given that to us as a way so we can go there to uh, Lord, learn, learn doctrine about you and learn wisdom um, and learn how to express feelings toward you. Uh, Father, I just pray that as we have studied this psalm together tonight, that we continue to find our rest in you. And that you and your uh, presence and your knowledge and your might, your all-powerful Lord, that, that through all those attributes of you that we can rest solely in that and be fine for the rest of our lives. Lord, I thank you that, that you have sent Christ to die on the cross for our sins. And that as the church, we have the ability to live out this message and to live out this message knowing that there are people who hate God right now, but, Lord, that we need to love and have pure intentions toward. And, Lord, there are people that, that Father, don't know you. And, God, help us to, uh, Lord, know you better so that we can rest in you and then ultimately uh, feel secure to share Christ with others. God, I just pray that each and everyone in here desires to find their rest in you and not in any circumstance, not in anything, uh, Lord, not in any hope other than the hope of you and the hope of Christ and his return and the hope that one day we will be in heaven forever and in glory. Uh, Father, I just thank you for this night. I thank you for this church and the family that we are. And I pray that, Father, we strive to become more like Christ in our walk each day. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.